Mini Mood House podcast, and we did not take an extended break whatsoever to get this next podcast out because not only do I want to highlight certain people that I enjoy, but I wanted to catch this moment in time before we do like a Christmas episode, which I'm hoping to do next week. I wanted to catch this moment in time to talk about everybody's, every artist's obsession and every fan's fun little thing to do. The top albums of the year list, you know, the ones every year people compile the best records of the year. And every year, uh, fans, followers, supporters, listeners compile their own list. Maybe they post them on social media to their personal accounts or their pages and they argue back and forth or they talk about this album that nobody had ever heard of that was great and blah, blah, blah. But more importantly, then you have the mega publications, in quotations, posting the best albums and you have artists like myself and all these other artists that can very easily, very easily get caught up in all of that top album list of the year. Like the weird acting like people don't care, acting like we don't care about a list and then being butthurt about the lists that come out that may not include you. We all know what that feels like as an artist, but it's interesting because like a lot of things in our world in 2020, there's so much nuance there. Maybe some of the criticism and some of the critique or perspective that I have is not about the year-end list themselves. It's not sour grapes. I've explained this many a time. That's such a simple thing to reduce uh, a problem, especially a, a systemic issue that I may address is, oh, it's sour grapes, and, you know, Chris is just jaded. Well, that's partially true. I mean, how could that not be true? But I'm also honest, as honest as I can be. Flawed, imperfect. But speaking of all that, I don't have as much of a problem as I used to have with not being included in year-end lists. Look, we just put out Fuzz. And if you look at my main platform and what I'm talking about when I say Fuzz is the best album of the year, A, that's what I believe. Uh, Fuzz is definitely the best noise rap album of the year. You know, I subscribe that to myself. I don't expect other people to do so. I would hope that they would. But the honest truth is that they've probably never heard of Moody Black or Fuzz. It's a unique position to be in because there's probably not a lot of people that have an album that may be pretty solid. Or maybe there's a lot of you out there that have an album that's really solid and nobody has any idea who you are. And as is many of our conversations, what happens is the loudest voices in the room, the influencers, the, the visible ones, have the loudest voice. Those albums are deemed the best. And everyone just kind of falls in line. The general population kind of falls in line with those narratives. And as I've said, the discrepancy between the people that get included in highly popular visible lists 
and those that just don't is immense give uh, with no attention paid to the fact that that is not a sole indicator of talent or ability meaning albums on lists popular visible lists doesn't mean that these are the most talented people in the business or people that have music that's more worthy than someone else's to listen to. It's just a good reminder to remember as an artist that that's not, and very rarely is the case, especially in 2020. The concern, and it's not so much a concern, for the artist and for us is that you you shouldn't look at year-end lists as an indicator of how well your project did in a particular year. Obviously, there's a lot of factors. And if you're smart about it, you can balance and kind of gauge depending on what you want out of this business, which really it should be nothing. You know, we get caught up because we get hopeful and all these things happen and that's where problems occur. Really, we should we should want nothing, but that's not always the case. But if you're striving for some sort of success in the music world, industry, whatever that even means right now, you have to be aware of the fact that and the very real reality that if you're not covered by certain publications that have the influence, you have a choice to make on uh, where you're going to get your fulfillment and your joy if you're looking for these outside sources to find it. Because, unfortunately, the music industry doesn't work in terms of work hard, hustle hard, grind hard, grind harder, work harder, more success. I don't know if anything really works like that all the time. It's what we're told, but... And if you take these year-end lists to heart and start to build and craft your work around what you think may work or may not to get you included in these lists, which is really the same thing as being uh, included in the influencer circles, you start to play that game, you know, and you start inevitably to lose your identity and who you are as an artist and musician, which has happened to us. It's happened to countless people and if you don't get a handle on it you know it helps to create this void in the middle class music scene and now more than ever a best of 2020 list seems to be like as irrelevant as it's ever been Because the conversations that we've been having on this podcast with other musicians, and when you hear 
in just a little bit with a little lavity. There's a lot of musicians out there that are creating projects, releasing projects strictly for themselves and their circles and their supporters. But what all this pandemic is doing is helping artists that want to continue to do this get in touch with why they really want to do this, I think. And it sounds so cliche, but what it is is that we just want to create. We can uh, argue, not even argue, we can complain, we can talk about how bad the industry is and, and how bad it's going to be for us to get out of this hole. But at the same time, artists are also thinking about and working on new projects. And talking about them in really cathartic ways, I think that's pretty cool. And that, to me, is, is really worth more than being on a list. Look, there's no winning. I'll, I'll probably be on some list. I am. I have been. And it, people would think that I would be satisfied, you know, oh, finally got on a list. Chris must be satisfied. Well, I'm, I, I'm not. And I don't think we ever are. It's always going to be something else, you know. And being on a list sometimes, uh, it can be pandering. Who I mean, who's writing these lists? Sometimes you'll see yourself on a list and then you see people associated with your band on the list and you're like, okay, well, this is, this is a homer, a homer list. <laughs> Meaning, you know, probably written by somebody that is invested in a label or a band and they just put a bunch of people on it and... But that's no real difference from the mega influencer list because there's those variables that I'm talking about include things like who you're connected with, who you're associated with, who a pub, uh, publication is indebted to, what narratives they're trying to drive uh, for their businesses, for their websites, for their clicks. How are they trying to shape the culture? How are they trying to pander to these audiences that support them? Were you a part of some compilation that was really popular and you were just a part of it? Um, there's so many things that can inflate numbers and visibility that you have to really recognize that none of it has to do with you personally how good how bad you are as a musician whatever that means how talented you are how prolific you may be it's a weird industry i mean even if you even at regular nine to fives i feel like <laughs> there's at least some semblance of if i work harder i get paid more because you work more hours you get paid more you know as a musician, you know, that doesn't exist. You could work the most hours of anybody and, and be paid nothing. I've seen a lot of really cool platforms popping up. Uh, I was going to be looking into uh, some Patreon uh, substitutes, different things to use, be looking into. I think it's important now for artists 
as it is right now because we don't know what's going to happen, but we would hope that eventually we'll be able to tour again. Uh, so on our end, and I think on artist's end, it's going to be up to us to reshape and rebuild this. I think there needs to be more artist involvement in um, the live performance aspect of putting on gigs and such, as opposed to just promoters and you know corporations and such. And it doesn't have to be done on this massive level where you're overwhelmed. You can do this right now where you're at in your own backyard because it starts there. We're going to need people in every city, every every um, town, state to start finding places to play if there are still places to play and if they're not, finding places to play. Building them, curating them, using them for the night and facilitating that way. I think that that's something that artists need to do. Just a thought. I'm going to get to our guest today. Weird, because usually in the Mini Mood House, we don't have a lot of guests. And um, this this uh, last couple of weeks, we had, fuck, we had like four or five on one pot, five or six. I don't know how many people on the last podcast for free December. And we're just pov- uh, pivoting a little bit to talking to a little Lavity this week, a really awesome uh, artist that currently lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, putting out a new record December 18th, self-released. She'll be playing the Fake Four Fridays on Twitch. If you're not onto that, you should check it out. Uh, But she'll be on there live in support of this upcoming record. And uh, we'll get to that, I don't know, conversation, I I think, probably right about... No. Hey everybody, my name is Lil Lavity. Thanks for joining us. Is that charismatic um, enough? It was all right. It was really good, actually. <laughs> I mean, why not? Why not? Why not do it like that? It's like, uh, charisma's fucking overrated, anyway. Um, fake it till you make it. Yeah, fake it till you make it. It's what they. That's what they tell you. Um, well, it's cool. I, you've been on other podcasts. I think you were on the. We have the other one called Transdemic. You were on that podcast, mm-hmm. and that was like a super personal podcast. I mean, all my podcasts are pretty personal, even. <laughs> The ones on Mood House, so prepare for that. But um, it's awesome. just the way that we do all the work here at, at Mood House and Moody Black. You know, like we just like to, we we don't we don't ask anything of anybody else that we wouldn't share ourselves. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, so we'd like have have those conversations, and um, I we've been following <clears throat> a lot of what you do since we met a long time ago. I guess it wasn't that long ago. It feels a lot longer than it is in in New Mexico or in Vegas. Actually, it wasn't even New yeah, Mexico. Yeah, that was like I don't know. It feels like four or five years ago. Yeah, it feels. I mean, to me, that's like it feels longer than it is. But I guess four or five years is a long time. Well, this we, year's been like three of them. So <laughs> yeah, it's probably why we're recording this at the end of 2020. So it's 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 been four years in one year. Um, but we, I don't remember the circumstances. I never remember the circumstances of how we ended up playing that particular Vegas show. I think maybe it was Cool Z a part of that show. No, uh, I, I got on that show because of uh, John Kilbach. Oh, that sounds familiar, and I should know who that is, shouldn't I? 
<laughs> he he was one of the ones that was booking your shows for a while in Vegas. Or he also goes by Def. Okay. Yep. I remember. I remember now. Uh-huh. Um, who do you remember? Who else was on that bill? Um, it was us. Um, Night of the Living Shred. Okay. Yep. Now I remember. Now then, I clearly remember this tour. <laughs> and then it was at Plague Doctor, mm-hmm. the other local act. Cool. Well, that that's where I first we first met. And that was a cool, a cool little, you know, like weird DIY show in like a industrial complex kind of thing. Like no, a- no, 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 no. Our first one was at Triple B's. It was oh, the opposite of of weird warehouse settings because it was a big, huge bar, and okay. everyone was standing that like was a really twenty feet show. away from the front. <laughs> Holy shit! So we played more than one show in Vegas together. We sure did. I fuck. I'm just totally now that you mentioned that show, I remember that show because that was a bizarre show, which is usually what most of our shows are like. But it was weird because of the the fact of of the venue we were playing was this like old it, it, you know, it was like this old eighties, nineties rock bars that like somehow <laughs> still survived. Yeah. And for some reason we're playing at it and it made no sense. Yeah, I think the only thing I actually got out of that experience, other than getting to know you, was the fact that I actually got to see Lil Lavity on one of those like old school outdoor mar- marquees. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that that always feels really cool. <laughs> and it was uh, by the time you'd, we'd met you and you were playing that show, had you been rapping for a while? Because w- explain your history a little bit, because you're not necessarily just. A rapper. I don't think anybody is, but you know that's not necessarily like the moniker for a little lavity. And and I, it looks like you've come from. I don't know your whole background, which is cool. I get to learn today. It seems like there's like a, a lot of folk and and punk influence. So can you explain a bit like where that started? Amusingly enough, I think like maybe that the last time I was at the venue we were just talking about, yeah. I was there to see AJJ. Um, and uh, I got to meet Jalapaz, which is a weird like thing to be excited about to meet your favorite audio engineer. But um, I was in uh, folk punk for eight years. I, I kind of was what was holding folk punk in Vegas together and got like a, a pretty dang big scene out there with folk punk with oh, like, cool. I didn't know that. Um, before uh, days and days was selling out like bigger venues. I had them at a house show with over 300 peoples and the cops didn't get called. Cool. Not once. What a what a um, win, right? Uh, but I'd been I I gotten I played with like Mischief Brew and like Days and Days. If essentially if it was a a big folk punk act and it went through uh, Las Vegas at all, it came through my hands. I either played it or I was the one running the running the whole show. And how then, many years? Like, how, what, did you do that? I did that for eight years. How old, like how old were you when you started doing that? Not to age. Oh, you. I started. I started. Uh, I started booking punk shows when I was like fifteen. My Just first... like out of necessity, because like you loved it, or like how did you get into booking shows so young? That's like something that usually doesn't happen until like you're older. Was it my uh, my very dear friend Jesse Williams, who's uh, an amazing country singer? Like hit me up and I think we were both teenagers and she was passing through Vegas and was like, can you get me a show? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, it, and it was like, it was really only like 10 of my friends in a, uh, in, in my garage, but, uh, 
few years later, I ended up booking Black Death All-Stars in that same garage as well. And then that band kind of blew up after they broke up. And so okay. I had like a, I had like uh, a Black Death All Stars patch on my pants, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool! Where'd you get that?" And I was like, "At the show that I handed you a flyer to and invited you myself, that you didn't show up to." It's what you get. <laughs> it's awesome because you mentioned that that you came up and you're like, "Oh, you know, came up with." It was really just ten friends, and every major music anything always starts with like it's just you and a couple buddies and fucking you're just grinding like every everything like Mm -hmm. from michael jackson to whoever it was it always starts in like and michael jackson sucks because it was (laughs) pedophilia and whatever didn't mean to to bring that up but um no like he like seriously like every story starts like that so i mean it's just the same old you know that's how it that's how it works like you could be anybody one day in your basement and garage and the next thing you know you have this huge fucking empire or not, and then you're just DIY like we are and putting on shitty shows for shitty people. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty cool being in like the the DIY environment because like I've gotten to see like I've gotten to meet heroes of mine in like backyards, and so there's like people that were like, "Oh my god, I got to see this rock star," and I was a thousand feet away from them, and I was like. I got to meet Dig Lucas of the Subhumans, and I traded him an apple for a patch. <laughs> That's epic. That sounds about right, too. Like, <laughs> he course. was really excited about that trade, too. <laughs> That's not surprising. I'm sure you've had a lot of interactions coming up like like similar to that with all these people that you've got. I, I bet you got to meet a lot of people growing up with that you admired and, and all that shit, too, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. amu- like following up on subhumans i was fast forward a few years i was a little dirty hitchhiking train kid and i was in um i was in berkeley i was in berkeley california for uh, and i got to see subhumans and mdc and there's like a a big punk band from uh the bay area called blatz that i really love and i was outside uh flying a sign that said berkeley's my baby spare chain for an abortion which was a <laughs> reference to that to that band yeah and uh, Dave of MDC thought it was like the coolest thing ever and tried to sneak me in. And then uh, the person who was running the venue was like, hey, you can't be here. And uh, Dave Dichter was like, um, I, I, I can't I can't sneak one little punk kid in like venues like this exist because of people like me. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Do you? Do you think that you know you mentioned again I don't know it's so funny we we've we we kind of know each other but we don't know each other <clears throat> um and like you just mentioned right now that you were a train kid um I'm I'm curious you know as much as you want to share like how is that is that out of necessity like how did that happen like where you're just like oh I'm out running trains you know and I was in high school I was fucking in this lavish ass middle class house with you know my parents and stuff like that um so i'm fascinated um not fascinated but i I like to learn about you know all these crazy experiences that other people have or people that weren't fortunate to have you know the fucking stupid bougie ass childhood (laughs) i have which wasn't great but it was you know it was i was taken care of is what i mean um so did you have like a, a tumultuous like home situation and that's why you decided it probably get into punk and the, or just like start train hopping. How did that happen? Uh, I don't, my, so, so my mom had MS and so I feel like most, uh, there's like a, a defining moment 
in my childhood where I went from being cared for to being a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by the, by the time that I was 18, I was just excited to get out of that situation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, I, I, I know that my parents could have, but it would have been difficult for them, for them to be able to like take care of me any, for an age past 18. Mm-hmm. So once I turned 18, I just, I was in, uh, I was on the strip in Las Vegas and ran into some dirty kids and we partied all night and they're like, we're going to San Francisco tomorrow. You should come with. And I grabbed a backpack and took off that's amazing and then i i I did that for did that for a few years probably went through i think i went through like uh um 24 states or something like that um what was that like what the fuck does that look like was drive just getting on like literally getting on a train yeah um my the person who taught me how to hop trains was very adamant about um um very adamant about making sure that if we we're going to get on a train, it had to be moving or else we were just going to sit on a train that wasn't going to go anywhere. So every single train that I've ever hopped has hopped on the fly. Um, speaking of which, since the, 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 we're at the platforms here, if anyone happens to know of an old dirty kid named Pony Spit or Travis, let me know because I haven't heard from that kid in forever. But um, yeah, so just... You would, it was, you can always kind of hope that you know where the train's going to go. You can use your best judgment, but for the most part, like, you never, you never actually know. What I really hate is I was in Chicago once and um, I, I was pulling up. I was like, hey, this is a big city. I must be in Chicago. And I was like, hey. I, I saw some like construction workers and I was like, hey, are we in Chicago? And they're like, oh, no, you're a long way from chicago and i was like then what fucking city am i in and then the train turns the corner and goes right into the chicago yard um which (laughs) is a like i think a 10 mile yard it's a huge 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 train yard one of the biggest train yards in the country and i was just like stuck in the middle of that yard i was like god damn it (laughs) that's not even shit you think about until you get on a train and end up in that situation oh yeah I ended up uh, I ended up spending two weeks in jail in Havard, Montana and almost got slapped with a felony for uh for a stowaway charge. Wow. They really mm-hmm. so they really they really get at it. Because you always hear like the stories, but you know, I don't really ever meet I've met train people. Usually people that hop trains, you'd meet them. <laughs> I met a lot of them on the soul tours, which is funny, which makes sense. Um, like a lot of the DIY tours, you'd meet people like that. I never got a chance to like really ask about the reality of like what that's like to do. It's it's pretty liberating. Um, but I gotta say I had a lot more fun when I didn't do it with other people. Um, a lot of train culture is, um, it's, it's very transient. So I think like a lot of people just tend not to think about how their consequences might affect other people. And I just didn't really like that. Plus I was... I was kind of a yuppie train kid. Like 
I didn't care for getting drunk outside of a, a outside of a Walmart parking lot. I wanted to spend my twenty dollars on a restaurant, and so I would every time oh, yeah. I would get into a new town, you'd get like twenty dollar kicks. I w- I wouldn't spend it on Four Loco. I'd go and spend it on a on a restaurant. No dissing to anybody who spent it on Four Loco, like, but it, it just I had a different interest in it. That's just like a, go ahead. I was just like a I was like a tourist covered in coal. <laughs> Well, and, and the whole time, like, I'm sure at this, like, as you're doing that, are you in, involved in music at all? Or, like, how does the music aspect play into, uh, you know, some of that culture? Because, I mean, I'm sure if you're hopping trains, you know, you don't, how do you work on, on things? Or have you always worked on things? Like, where does the music aspect come in? See, that's that's actually kind of how I ended up being, uh, like, a pretty dang good ukulele player. Mm-hmm. like um is the ukulele is like one of the easiest instruments to travel with and so um my i would busk like street perform to make most of most of my money i, I wasn't a big fan of walking up to somebody and being like hey can you get some spare change <laughs> i i always felt uh i've always had a bit of like shame behind that and there's definitely probably some like classism involved in that but uh yeah. i just felt better playing music um, and I, and so I, at one point in time, I was living in Nashville in my train days, um, and I was paying rent by, uh, by street performing and people didn't necessarily like tip me because of my voice. <laughs> I didn't have the most sultry, <laughs> amazing voice on the, on the streets of Nashville, but I could play the ukulele like it was a banjo and everyone ate that shit up. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, then later on, I ended up forming a band with my friend Nick Smurl, um, who now plays music under Smurl Haggard. Um, uh, it was a two-piece, me on the ukulele plugged into an amp with some pedals and him on the drums. And a song could be bluegrass and rap and power violence all in the same song. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the same idea that I, I'm trying to, like, captivate in my my newer productions is i just want it to be as many genres as possible while maintaining like a cohesive aesthetic that's exactly what i think that's that's who you are i think i just that's it's interesting you know you have that background um and you're coming up and you're doing like real musician shit and playing an instrument and then how in the world like where does the rap element come in and at what point does the rap element come in i know i know somehow you end up back in vegas after all this right because <laughs> yeah we, we played with you in vegas so you end up back in vegas but now like all of a sudden you have that history you've been doing all and maybe it's just because rap is another component of all these other genres like how does that come into the to the fold well like i've i've always had this like uh this like hyper fixation on music and like how some people are that way about like nerdum stuff like Star Trek and Star Wars. That's that's how I am about music. I, I constantly need a new I need new music in my life like every month or else I go I go a little little mad. And um so I had my dad was a, a big collector of like hip hop, um, had thousands of CDs and 
Um, most of it was a good third of it was hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had I had all of this like while I was getting into punk rock, I was also like pulling like Public Enemy and like X Clan and all these like really pro black radical like hip hop. And I was just like, you know, I was listening to like Os Rotten like scream about how they don't need a government, and mm-hmm. I'm listening to these hip hop projects talk about all the harm that hip, uh, the government has done to them. And so it was just like, <laughs> it it really was that 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 do like that dichotomy that really like captivated me into both of those genres. Um, and so like years and years pass, and I just love and love hip hop but it's always kind of kept to myself um i see i was at a punk show when i was like a teenager and i see some guy in between sets do like slam poetry and i had been writing poetry to myself for like a really long time without doing anything with it and i was just like wait a minute you're telling me i can do slam poetry in my punk sets and so that's what i started doing (laughs) Is like whenever I needed to take to take like a breath, like a breather, um, in between songs, I would just do like a slam poem, and my drummer would just sit and chug his PBR behind me, and I would tell a poem, and uh, people ate it up surprisingly, almost more than my music. Um, and I remember I had this like uh, this one. I used to go to this open mic in the in uh, in Vegas. And there was this, like, this woman who went there every single time. She had her little chimes on the mic, and she told, like, just just some pretty awful poetry. And I ended up writing, like, a weird, like, diss track, like a diss slam poem about how, like, as a poet, I fucking hate other poets because they're corny <laughs> as hell. And then Very I performed that from... Very rapper thing to do. That's that's exactly my my. I was performing that for my friend once. My friend was like, "You need to make rap music. That is the most hip hop thing I've ever heard." And <laughs> and I did it. Um, and it, it's funny because like so much about like about hip hop is like like it's an ego boost. You got to talk about how great you are, but like deep down, I'm like really insecure, and I know I'm not the best rapper in the world, but it's yeah. fun. I, I had uh, I got a review recently and someone was like, uh, she even though it's part of her aesthetic, she fits more syllables into some of her things than she can fit with her mouth. I'm like, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, I, but it's not necessarily always a bad thing. It's it's um, you know what I've always appreciated about the stuff that you do, and, and the story makes you know makes sense as to why it's like that. Like, you don't give a fuck. <laughs> you don't Mm-mm. care. Like. When I when we first saw you play, you know that that resonates um, to just that energy of. I think you're probably one of the last of a lot of of a, like a dying breed of, you know, a a train hopper. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm sure that happens still, but like it's rare. Uh, like it's just the world has changed so much. But like being a punk rock, you know, kid and then and then doing rap and then bringing a lot of that aesthetic, but then also by having that experience you've you've realized what i think a lot of really good musicians realize at some point like genre is just that's for listeners and and people that aren't involved like genre doesn't mm-hmm. exist you know yeah i i i had uh one of the albums that has like changed my life changed my life was uh um the taxpayers uh god please forgive these bastards the forgotten life of henry turner mm. 
like uh that album is such a a masterpiece of like attention to detail and like this just fluid sound between like these heart-wrenching soul ballad like folk ballads to these super in-your-face punk songs and then like a jazz song that's a little funky and then like and so like I, I I feel like that doesn't come from like uh, a set intention, but more of a like an authenticity. Like if yeah. if you're trying to make a genre, like you're trying to start a punk band, you're gonna end up making punk music. But if you just get together and just like I want to make music, you end up showing your personality more than you end up showing a genre. And I feel like that's like my main my main. Like goal is like I just want people to see who I really am in my music. I'm I'm silly. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I make terrible jokes, and I and I will reference a thousand things that no one will ever understand. And that's that's just how it is. Yeah, no, which is which is great. <laughs> and you're also the other thing I appreciate that you didn't really mention there is you you're accountable and and you hold and you know like all of us we're all like flawed human beings and we all do fucked up things and we all do great things. And, but the cool thing that I really appreciate with artists is when, when they can confront that. And, mm-hmm. um, we, I'm going to let people listen and, and link them to the transdemic episode with you. If they want to hear more of like the story of the, of some things that you've went through. Um, but you know, like you've, you've come out like, and I know you're, you're living out in uh, New Mexico now. Um, cause mm-hmm. I want to get to this album before we start running out of time, but you know, all the stuff we just talked about and then some other instances that, that happened a little bit later. What I really admire about you is the same thing that I, that when I didn't know you that I saw on stage was, you know, the fearlessness and the, and, and just being a badass, first of all. And then, <laughs> but also, you know, what I've learned about, about you is, is just to strengthen your accountability and, and like, um, owning yourself and your life and, 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 and trying to get to a better place. Like there's not a lot of people that, that do that. It's, it's hard mm-hmm. to do. It's hard work to do. We're all working on it, but you know, so I, I just wanted to, to bring that up too. Cause I think that really informs your music and, and, and the stuff that you do does, it's exactly what, like what you're setting out to do, you're doing. Cause it's just hard to place what you do. Cause you have all these influences and you're showcasing all these things. So you can't put the lavity stuff in like a box. Oh, thank you. Oh, cool. it, uh, the most of the I I've thought about like the accountability stuff a lot, and it's like I'm still by I'm not like by any terms fixed or anything. I think it's gonna like it's an endless battle. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like we talk about like train writing, trigger warning is I like I one of the things that happened while I was hitchhiking is I was sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. and I didn't even come to terms with that until like like this year um and so it's like i'm a i i I grew up femme i faced so much violence growing up and then when then when i was like having to like have confrontation which we're all everybody's gonna have confrontation i didn't really i didn't have access to like non-confrontational like or non-violent confrontation. I mm-hmm. all of my confrontations had been violent, and so like having to like unlearn all of that is just—it's kind of an endless struggle. Um, people ended up people end up working on it their whole life. Um, but yeah, 
Yeah, it, it it's it's cool that you took the opportunity. To, I'm I'm so bad with like trigger warning people. I just like I dive into it, be like, oh shit, I should have done that. Um, but yeah, it's it, I think that that you're right. Like there is no it, and especially I I have not had a situation where I've been um, sexually assaulted, but I've know plenty of people that have, and I don't think people realize enough like how that affects people, um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go away. I mean, it, you can improve it and things like that. And it's just an unfortunate fucked up. It's horrible. It's, it's a horrible mm-hmm. thing that happened. And I don't think we have enough grace for, for victims and, and all that, even just listening to them. We're still having a hard time, um, <laughs> like coming to terms with that and how it pro- like it processes itself in all sorts of different ways. And the one line that I, that I draw a relation to that with is, you know, obviously being trans and, and as you know, with that, like you, there's parallels with, um, just having to deal with a bunch of shit and like mm-hmm. having to deal with something that doesn't go away. Like I was, I was just thinking about that the other day. I had posted something about a, my voice or something, and and people were like, "Oh yeah, but like don't apologize." It's like, well, <laughs> like I don't mean like I want to like actually apologize for being who I am and all that shit. Like I just mean like when you're trans and stuff. For some trans people, for tra- for some people with dysphoria, like that shit that never goes away. Like mm-hmm. surgeries, hormones, everything. Like you're yeah. always, we're always going to have conflict. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. go away. You know, we just have to learn how to like handle it better. Was uh, oh, I had a, I had a thought brain fart. <laughs> I do this. I do that at least like one interview where I'm just like, all That's right, great. what was that thought? And it's gone. ADHD. It's great. Um, It'll come back. <laughs> I, I, I think it kind of comes down to like, I mean, uh, any violation of someone's autonomy is be it through like harassment or like an assault has a lasting impact and the more it's it's it the more that you've um the more that you've endured stuff like that the more likely that you're going to that that trauma is going to show up in other places that you don't want it to show up. Um, and it's just, and unfortunately, like, even though it sticks with you, one of the things that gets you past that and beyond that is just learning to um, sit with those things without, like, shame or guilt or, like, self-deprecation. Self-deprecation doesn't do anything for anyone. And so, like, uh, like, the moment that an individual can move past the shame of the harm that has been caused them, the, the, the more they will less likely to have it show up in their, in their, uh, in other places in their life. Yeah. It's wild. Wow. I mean, this, and now we're getting, this is great. Cause it's, this, this fits the theme of like the last few months of podcasts, which are just all these like crazy uh, philosophical existential crisis that end up happening because once you start getting real with like yourself and everything it's just it just becomes all this conjecture and just all this weird shit but um leading how much of what we just talked about and some of the stuff that's happened and then being in 2020 with all the current stuff to to get to fast forward a bit now and like i said if you want to hear more of the lavity stuff i'll link the transdemic episode below because we get really in depth with a lot of it um so but I wanted, deep. yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to highlight for this, this, uh, thing we're doing here, this album that you, that you just released, 
I don't think you've officially released it yet. Ah, um, December 18th. December 18th quite, is the yeah. yeah, see, god damn it. Um and why the fuck you decided cuz you know, I didn't have a choice when I was like I'm going to put out fuzz in March and we're going to go on tour and we're going to go to France. This is going to be fucking great. And then the pandemic hit. Had I known there would have been a pandemic, I don't know if I would have released an album. So what made you what made you be like I'm releasing this album right now? So had it got recorded, most of it was recorded in Vegas. I've been out in Albuquerque for like for like Crazy. two years now. Um, what there's it, songs on there that have been done that long? Yeah, almost all of them. Uh, wow! Except for the ones that we, the one that we did, um, Warfare and uh, Elvis deserved to die on the shitter. Damn, um, that's crazy! I didn't know that. Yeah, those were all recorded at Naked City Audio in Vegas. Um, and it was just a matter of like I'd been hungry to get it out, hungry to get it out, and then all of a sudden I was jobless and had all this extra free time on me. <laughs> yeah, like and a so lot of us. I was just like, I gotta do it, and um, I, I think we talked about it in the last podcast too. Is um, I had a, I had it during this year. I had a suicide attempt, but mm-hmm. ended up ended up and I ended up in the hospital for over a week, um, and then sent to a psych ward for few more days uh which a psych ward is not a friend safer friendly place for a trans person let me tell you um none of that is (laughs) uh and so um i kind of got out of that experience being like oh my god that almost didn't almost didn't come out (laughs) yeah and so i think that's I, i i think that this album has been me just not coping with that suicide attempt and just working as hard as I possibly can instead. Uh, <laughs> That's why. Um, yeah. I'm glad that you're fucking here. You fucking worry me. I want to <laughs> like, I saw that. I mean, you know, is yeah, that it's not easy, you know, like yeah. it's everyone's dealing with, with shit. And I just hope that um, everybody can find a way to make it through. And it's, but it's the reality of what you just mentioned. Unfortunately, it's, these are things that that will that we always have to work on, and we don't mm-hmm. know how we're going to feel tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And people again, people don't give enough grace to people that have mental not that you have mental illness, but that people oh, have I do. mental illness. <laughs> and even if you do, but it's but it's not you know. And I work with a bunch of people that that do um, in in the field that I work in. But and to to my own extent, whatever the fucking weird shit that I have going on, like it's not like it doesn't go away like i've been dealing with depression stuff like that since i was a kid and all you can do is get a handle on it you know mm-hmm. and like be able to try to survive the next day and, and people don't they just need to learn how to have grace yeah. uh, and like learn how to support people and learn how to like deal with people when they're going through things and we just talked about a little bit about this <laughs> we we had an instagram thing going with this uh fantano thing <laughs> and um there's a lot of nuance like there's just a lot of nuance that gets lost in, in posting and, and say this or that. And then this is fucked up. And then this person's, it's just confusing. And then when you, when you, like when I thought about what you just mentioned now and like to bring it back to this record, instead of me going on that tangent, like all these records people are putting out in 2020, we just had the fake four free Simber episode on this podcast. It just sounds like everybody's putting out records for themselves. And that's mm-hmm. not something that I've heard people do collectively in a long, long time. And that's really cool. Because you put this out because you had to. Yeah, I sure I did. And I'm. it's funny because like, the, the moment that this got finished being mastered, I was already sending 
like the, my my co-conspirator like tracks and it's like all right and i i've been working on like my own production and uh and just already hungry to put out something new um because like i said these 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 songs are collectively pretty old they're the the songs that I've been collecting over the course of about five years now since I've started started making hip hop. And so I'm I'm definitely ready to move on um and create something I really want to create something theatrical. Not yeah. like not like shaking your hands, theater, whatever, but like something dramatic and like I don't know. I don't know if I'm putting it right. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. No, that's that's how that's how all these things start. They don't have words yet. Um, you can't or you can't figure them out. Like I want to know. Like okay, we have this album coming out on the 18th. You can get it. You know, at your Bandcamp, Little Lavity Bandcamp. Which, by the way, before this record, or maybe before the first year, for the last, I would say a year ago, it's insanely fine. It was hard to find you online. Like find your content. <laughs> Really? Yeah, like you—you you had like a SoundCloud, maybe. No, I maybe had, there was I a just, band camp. I just had a band camp. I had like two songs in a in a YouTube video, and that was it. Yeah, I remember trying to find it to promote the show in Vegas. So it's a few years ago. You, you barely were like online. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great though. Is uh, so I was in a band called Alexander the Terrible, and you would Google that, and literally everything but that band would come up. Especially that Steve Carell movie, Alexander the Terrible, Horrible, That's No funny. Good, Bad Day, which great is kind book. of what we were named after. But like when when I was like starting this project and trying to come up with a name, I was like, I want to make sure that when I Google it, nothing else comes up. <laughs> Did you succeed? I did. Um, There is nothing other than a um, reference to the word lavity from Middle English, meaning a woman (laughs) who makes bread uh, on Wikipedia. There is no other lavity on the on the Internet. That's that's epic. Well, my I have another question that just came when I was thinking about this record, not just the record, but like I said, the last the last year, obviously, it's been like weird, but I'd say like the last since you've got into hip hop, quote unquote, and rap. We're we're saying this very loosely because, you know, we're not we're not playing open you know open mic nights and rap battle nights or whatever. It's a little bit different, but um, which is fine. Those are all cool too. I haven't done that in years. But um, like, how is the is there an audience like a, a quote unquote hip hop audience? Like how how does a rap or hip hop audience embrace your work, if at all. Like, what is, what have you found to be the way that 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 fits in your narrative? Or have you noticed that? Have you thought about like the audio, like a rap hip hop audience, or even the indie rap audiences, how they they take your work in? It's 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 interesting because I've I've sent out like a, a thousand emails trying to get some like some like press on this album and. I have been ignored by every single like hip hop publication. Yeah, it's normal. And yeah, I, I expected it to be, but like, you know, I, I think when I like when I am playing with other like MCs, and then you've got like the heads that come in, and they're like, I, I, I think they're really interested in only like one main thing, and it's that do you have bars? And I thought like, you were gonna say something else. I was like, "Oh shit, probably that too." These fucking creepy ass dudes. 
<laughs> no, they honestly they they just they just care if you've got bars. Like yeah. if if you can spit, then you're cool to them. And yeah. like it may not always be their thing, but I think that's one of the things that like I've had, I, I, I was playing, I played a show once and somebody, uh, some, I watched somebody listen to my lyrics, which is something that I, I, I notice in live shows. You can tell who's like listening yeah. and who's there. And yeah. it's always the hip hop heads who are like actually like devotedly listening. Yeah. And so I watched somebody like, like make facial expressions at my punchlines and shit. And I was just like, this person's actually like engaging. And then like, I didn't realize it, but they were going to be playing like right after me. And so oh, wow. I got out, I got, I, I got off my, I got out and I went and had my cigarette and I came back in and this person blew my mind. They were so fucking talented. Yeah. And then like, I, I, I gave him the same, like. Like I am listening to everything you're saying moments. And then like we came after his set, I was just like, oh my God, I love that. And he was like, oh my God, I loved you. <laughs> and it awesome. was like a collective, like, heck yeah, that was so cool. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. But I, I, I tend to make a, a pretty big dork of myself <laughs> in like hip hop settings. Cause it's like, I, I, I'm not actually cool. Um, and so like, you know, when, like, I remember once I played with, like, B. Dolan and, like, Wheelchair Sports Camp, and at the very end, we did the, like, the the freestyle battle with all the MCs of the night, and I was just, like... Yeah, I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> and I, I just, I just rambled like an idiot. and awesome. And it was, it was, it was pure trash. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to freestyle, um... And but it was uh, cool. I still don't mind doing it, but it's not my forte. Yeah, you gotta. You, it's it's interesting. That whole thing is God again. Years and years, but it is interesting how much um, if you're if you're good at what you do, how much it transcends, and in a lot of cases changes people uh, as human beings. Is what I found over the last you know two, three, four years of because when you're a good rapper. And I'm talking like a really good rapper, not saying anything about myself, but I'm saying when you're when you're able to to rap at a certain level, everything else kind of goes away uh, as mm -hmm. trans people and everything like that shit goes out the window. They'll still misgender the fuck out of you when you go. Exactly. That was cool, bro. At the end of the set, like mm -hmm. fuck, you fucking piece of shit. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time, they're having an identity crisis because they just, you know, the best rapper in the room is this uh, trans woman that is fucking you know, epic. And I think that it, it, that's, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. And I think that that's awesome. Like, and, and, you know, like it's at the, as much as it's like, we just happen to be trans people. That's how I like, I'm like, I'm just human being. I happen to be this trans person, blah, blah. Like there's so much power in being, um, a front person and a rapper and, and being mm -hmm. able to, to, I mean, we can really, you really, can shape and change the way people perceive trans people from a fucking song or performance. And to oh, me, that's definitely. fucking amazing. You know, I, I also, we were, we were talking about like where I fit in hip hop. And like, I think one of the things that like, I, I, I love hip hop with like every bit of my heart, but I, I, I do notice that there's a certain point of like, of where somebody becomes 
such a good rapper mm-hmm. that like it's almost like the artistry be like the artistry beyond that kind of disappears. Oh, all the where, time. <laughs> where it's just like they've got all the punchlines, they got all the lyrics, but like it's not new. Yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, I I definitely set out set out to do something completely new um, yeah. when I made this project, and I think that's constantly what I like because my last punk ba- my last my last act was a punk band with a ukulele and a drummer. So like my my goal is to constantly be pressing myself to be making to make something new. It's always and my music will always end up being fringe, like. No matter how hard I try, it will be fringe, and so like I I I I won't hold it against non-fringe like communities for not completely embracing me because it's not their responsibility, you know. Yeah, totally, and that's the way to look at it. Because believe me, I've wasted a, a way too many years fucking around with that. <laughs> kind of what I was again when we talked about earlier in the thing. Like you you learn over the years, like to pick and choose your spots. Um, mm-hmm. pick and choose what you're going to, cause there's a lot of things I could go off about every day. And I do to myself <laughs> and even less that I engage with online. Like I, it's just so that's all important stuff like to keep in mind. And I think you're, you know, if you ever needed, you know, to run thing, run things by somebody, I'd love to keep, you know, helping out what you do just cause again, what the reason why I like to highlight you and have you again on this podcast and we'll wrap it up here. Cause it's, this is becoming like a, an official mood house. <laughs> link. Um, but the reason why I don't mind and I really want to highlight the stuff that you're doing is because you're also like so community driven as well. And like, but beyond that, like, you know, you, you also help to inspire the work that we do. And like, you're, you're somebody that, uh, other trans, not just trans people, but other people won't come to and like, at least, I don't know, whenever things get up and running again, I don't know if you'll keep helping put shows together and all that, but you, you, I don't know. It's just good to have people like you involved in scenes and then involved in, and again, it's funny. I say scenes when I just, I can go off about that, but, <laughs> um, but it'll be important to have people like you. So stick around. Don't fucking, <laughs> Hold it together as long as you can and be here because I think over the next couple of years, it's going to be important to have people like you facilitate and, and make sure we're fostering and having spaces for people to put their work out there and together uh, on top of the, the work that you're going to be doing. And people I, will be into your work as you know, you're again, because of your content, the way you do it, you're making contemporary relevant shit as well. So I, I think the combination of the two, it's important to have people like you around. Oh, thank you. And I, I, I mean, once once shows are a thing again, anyone can hit me up um, for a show in Albuquerque. So it's it's a pretty cool community, and I, I, this little city gets underrated, but it's full of a bunch of party kids that want to have, or college kids that want to have fun. Like that's and it, it's such a small like space that like it. No one, no one can be picky and choosy about what kind of genre they want to like attend. They just go to shows and it's they have fun regardless of what it is, and it's a pretty neat place. Yeah, I love Albuquerque. It's one of my top cities. It's a place I've even considered moving to because it's, it's worth it. It's so out of the way. I was like, I just want to go somewhere where I don't have to deal with anything. And um, the Native American community, everything out there is is you know our best shows. 
are always in those areas. Cause like you mentioned, like the people just are so genuine mm-hmm. and like, you know, especially the kids that end up at shows or the random kid or two, you, you, like they're so genuine and I get so much more out of it, not playing, just being there and between the shows and after the shows than I do actually playing. Like it's just a great place to me. Um, I don't think any of the venues that we played with you are even fucking around anymore though. Are they? Is that, <laughs> is that, that little spot cannot be there anymore. The last no, one. We just... It was around for uh, a long time before, before we played that show, but Corpus Arts closed down, which is, I, I want to point out that the, one of the things that I directly noticed <clears throat> between the the shows that um, I was a part of with you and Vegas versus Albuquerque is like there the Vegas was so apathetic. Oh yeah, and it, it was sucks most, to play shows in. Yeah, it's a Honestly. shitty place to play shows in. Yeah. It's a shitty city. It's a shitty scene. But like everybody in everyone in Albuquerque was completely engaged Mm -hmm. even in that tiny little space there wasn't like room to mosh or nothing everyone put their body into your set which i thought was like super cool seeing from like watching doom metal bands watch you from the bar and then like a room (laughs) full of the most atrociously dressed queers just having a grand old time and I, i i think that was kind of a moment for me because i remember you at that show, you were trying to encourage me to step out and just like you should just play more like regular rap shows. And I was like, why? I just want to make queer music for queer people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome too. I mean, I get that. I get that for sure. But I think that it's always be my about next album title: queer music for queer people. And that's per- that's, cramps. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. That's actually a good title. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just all about. I mean, that show, and I remember that show. I don't remember the other one. I mean, I remember it vaguely, but I actually remember the day and that show. I remember a lot of the Albuquerque shows because we just go and hang out. And, you know, they don't have a lot of, like you mentioned before, there's not a ton of great food spots, but the ones that I like <laughs> are really great. And they're great. I was going to try and not bring up food if we were talking about Albuquerque. Oh, yeah. I tried I mean, really hard. That's another reason for us to go there. We can open up a spot. <laughs> Definitely. It w- I mean, Honestly, if you opened up a good taqueria out here, like immediately everyone would be mind blown. I don't think it would be take take much to to impress people out here. Well, it's definitely got it's yeah, and you're from again, Vegas, even Vegas. Vegas is kind of as shitty as it is a sleeper city. It's got I mean, it's got a lot of good food. So much good food. Yeah. You're kinda you were kind of spoiled probably in Vegas because a lot of people go to Vegas. Mm Mm-hmm. So the food follows. There's like actual five-star restaurants that like independent restaurants have to compete against you know yeah which is that's exactly the dichotomy and the dynamic with the music scene because there's also five-star fucking uh broadway fucking shows in vegas and you know very little left for the diy kind of shows like it's just not a conducive environment for that oh and it's pretty much illegal to run an all-ages venue in, in las vegas that would make sense as well. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I'm sure that's the thing. That's it, fucking it, crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily we don't have to go there anytime soon. Even if we had a chance to go back on tour, you know, skip right over Vegas. You know, the reason to go though is to go to those. Like we go there to go to like Gordon Ramsay's fucking place and have a burger. <laughs> that's what the uh, fucking show's about. 
it's Taco Salgordos for me. Like, I can't. I don't even think I won't. I won't. Sorry if you're listening, but I probably won't ever go back to Vegas even to see my dad. Like that city's done for me. But Makes like, sense. I think I would go back for Tacos Los Gordos. That's a and that's the perfect place to end this conversation. Other than the fact that if you I stand you behind that being the perfect place in this conversation, you know, we're gonna do a Christmas episode. I feel like I feel like Sean should come hang out with us. It's been a long time since you heard from Sean. I feel like he has a lot to say. A man of many words, of integrity, of tacos, of burgers, and a lot of sleeping. We'll see you sometime early next week with a Christmas edition of the Mini Moon House. Ugh.